0: Well, good morning. Good morning to you all. So good to see you. And I know we always have this little graphical break that happens in between uh, the singing and the sermon, but, ah, my word, that wasn't that gorgeous. Uh, Give an amen to our choir. Vern, thank you so much. Choir, thank you so much. Gail, thank you. That was just absolutely gorgeous. Uh, I'm so thankful for the talent that we have here. But thank you all so much for being here this morning. So good to see you. And if you are joining with us online, thankful that you have done that, especially on today uh, where we have sprung forward already. I don't know about you all, this is both my worst, my least favorite day and my most favorite day all at the same time. I hate the hour of lost sleep. Uh, but boy, howdy, do I love the extra hour of sunlight at the end of the day. So thank you guys for setting your clocks and being here this morning. I very much appreciate that. Well, we will continue in our uh, study of Philippians today. If you would please turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. We'll be looking at verses 5 through 8. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. And while you're turning there, are just a few quick announcements as uh, we are coming back to life. Uh, first of all is this. this. Wednesday at 1030, we are having our senior adult worship here in the sanctuary. So looking forward to having our senior adults back where we will worship together. Uh, also, m we were talking about this last week. If you have a student uh, graduating sixth grade all the way up through 12th grade uh, and would like to go uh, this summer on Missions Fuge, which is summer camp, please see Jason. I think today, Jason, where are you? Wave your hand. I don't see him. There he is. Uh, I think today is kind of like the last day to let us know just some information. You can still sign up after today, but we would really like to know if you can by today. And then lastly is this. We are coming very close to Easter, and there is so much that's happening over Easter. We are returning to walk with the cross. We didn't get to do that last year. That's happening this year, Good Friday at noon. All of our churches are gathering together, and we will start here and our front steps and walk to Mint Hill Town Square. We have gotten a th- Uh, Approval from the town of Mint Hill to do that, so I'm looking forward to that. And then also on Easter, we're having three services, a 7 a.m. outside sunrise service, then a 9 a.m. and an 11 a.m. So looking forward to celebrating Easter because last year there were only 10 people in this room for Easter. And so I'm looking forward to having the church back. With that being said, we have a terrible, terrible uh, anniversary to celebrate today. It has been one year exactly That this pandemic started. One year ago today was the last time that this church was able to gather in a large number in this room. And even at that, we were divided across two different congregations, one that was here, another that was in South Carolina as we were having our marriage conference. It's amazing to think what has occurred over the past year, but by God's grace, he has sustained us and he's brought us to this moment and we continue moving forward. And looking forward to what God will do and how he will grow uh, on the back end of this pandemic. Well, I want to turn your attention now to maybe uh, something that's a little bit older than uh, a pandemic. If you recall back in the late 80s and early 90s, there's this one guy that played basketball really well. This famous basketball player that you may have heard of, maybe, maybe not. His name was Michael Jordan. No big deal. You guys heard of Michael Jordan? All right, so Michael Jordan, obviously superstar, right? To this day is still influencing all the basketball players. But Michael Jordan in the late 80s and early 90s, he was it everywhere. He was in movies, he was on cartoons, in commercials, everything. And for good reason, Jordan was amazing. Uh, and I, I like basketball uh, so-so, mostly college basketball, but Jordan made me love The NBA at the time didn't like it on the next generation that came behind them. But Jordan was it. And there's this one commercial that came out round about that time that I'm going to be curious. We're going to play it here for you in just a second. I I'm going to be curious to see if anyone in this room starts singing along with this because it is burned into my brain. I still sing it nearly 30 years later uh, just randomly. So, guys, if you have that commercial, if you will play that and turn the volume up because I really want to see y'all's reaction on this. So Sometimes i dream that he is me this day I'm still singing that song. I saw some of you guys out there You nodding your head. Some of you were mouthing to the words. I, I all around, all the time be like, be like Mike. If I could be like Mike, I want to be, I want to be like Mike. It's still, it's burned in my brain because they played that commercial all the time. Notice that it's Gatorade. I mean, that's the original commercial, the glass Gatorade bottles and everything. Man, Gatorade was riding Michael Jordan's coattails. And and again, all the time. But listen to some of the lyrics that were in that song. They wrote a custom for that commercial, some of the lyrics. Sometimes I dream that he is me. Again, I try, just need to fly. For just one day, if I could be that way, like Mike. If I could be like Mike. I want to be, I want to be like Mike. Listen to that. That's hero worship, right? I wish I could be like him for just a moment. If I could fly like Michael Jordan for just a moment. If I could play basketball like Michael Jordan for just a moment. I dream that I'm like him. That has everything to do with today's text. I know you're wondering why the Gatorade commercial. Has everything to do with today's text. Because what Paul is telling us in the text today is this. He's saying to the Philippians, like Christ, I need to be like Christ. I need to be, I need to be like Christ. That's exactly the text that's going on. So I hope you walk away from here with that jingle in your head. Just change the lyrics, like Christ, I need to be like Christ. And with that said, if you have found Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, will you please stand with me for the reading of God's Word? This is what Paul says. Almighty Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for this day to be able to be gathered in your house, to be able to be gathered online. Father, I thank you that you have given us your Son, and Father, that he has humbled himself from the glories of heaven to walk amongst us, to rescue us from our sin and from death. And, oh, Father, I pray we would walk from this place today saying, like Christ, I need to be like Christ. Father, the beauty of this text can only be spoken by you. And so, Father, I pray that you would preach and move me out of the way, that you would speak, Father, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Father, I pray this in the blessed name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. You may be seated. So as we carry into this text, let me give you the context of where we have been. If you were here last week, you remember that Paul is speaking to the Philippian church and as he has moved into the beginning part of chapter 2, he is saying to them, be unified, be humble, treat others as more important than yourself. So he is speaking of humility and he has said in that text, that he says, make my joy complete, so obviously something was going wrong to some degree inside the walls of the Philippian church and they were not treating each other as servants. They were not being humble one with another. And in, verse, uh, in chapter 2 verses 3 through 4 he says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interests but rather to the interests of others. And twice before, including in chapter 2 and once in chapter 1, he says that all the believers need to be united in the same mind about humility and unity. In 127, he said just one thing, as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or I am absent, I will hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel." And then again in chapter 2, verse 2, "...make my joy complete by thinking the same way." Thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. And all of that has been leading us to verse 5. And in verse 5 he says, "...adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. All of the humility and all of the unity and being of the same mind leads us to this verse, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, simply saying, He's saying to us, be like Jesus. Be like Jesus. And more precisely, He's saying, think and act like Jesus. See, Jesus is the one mind, the one accord that Paul has been alluding to all this time. Jesus is the one spirit that he's been saying all this time. And now he comes to it and he begins to lay before us some of the greatest text in all of the New Testament. It's called the Christ hymn. And Paul introduces it by saying to us that we need to adopt in ourselves the same mind that Jesus Christ has in regards to humility. These next few verses, going from 6 through 11, for biblical scholars and theologians are some of the most treasured pieces of Scripture. For me, it's some of the deepest waters that can be possibly waded into. It's some of the richest theology. And, And knowing this, I also recognize there's no time for me to go into those depths today. I really want to, I promise you. I I, I could spend probably three months on just these few verses. It's rich with theology, but we can't do that. So today what I want to do as we go through these few verses, we see in 6, 7, and 8 that Paul gives us three beautiful examples of Christ's humble mind that we need to adopt and that we need to to act on so the first of, his, of which is this Christ's heavenly humility Christ's heavenly humility in verse 6 see the humble mind of Jesus Christ that we should adopt started in the glories of heaven look with me again at verse 6, he says, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Paul starts in this beautiful hymn with Jesus' very existence in the heavenlies. And notice here, he says the form of God. Two times in these scriptures, in these three verses, he says that Jesus has the form of. In verse 6 he says the form of God. And in verse 7 he says the form of Man. Now, again, we could run this for a long time, but let me just simply say this. What Paul means when he says the form of is he says that Jesus Christ has the very nature of God. And this is key for us to understand everything that's coming next. Because Paul is saying simply in the very first stanza of this hymn that Jesus Christ is God, he is the very glory of God. We can understand this even more as we look throughout the rest of Scripture. In the Old Testament, it speaks so much of God's glory. And then in the New Testament, it speaks that Jesus Christ is manifested and is that glory of God. 2 Corinthians 4.4, in their case, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Hebrews 1.3, the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of His nature, sustaining all things by His powerful Word. Jesus is God, and we must understand that in order to understand the glory of His humility moving through the rest of these verses And to help us, if if you walk away from here today going, I've got a lot of questions. This is deep. Let me give you a trick on how to help understand all of this. Every next stanza, every next line speaks into the one above it. So if you want to know what Paul is saying, the context that's coming, every next stanza speaks into the one above it and will help you understand that context. So Jesus Christ exists as the very form of God, the very glory of God, the very image of God. Jesus Christ is God. And he carries forward. Notice not only his existence, but his attitude. The second line. He did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. This is a very unique phrase in Greek. In fact, one of the words that's in here is rarely used in Greek. It's the only time it's ever used in the New Testament. In fact, it never shows up in the Greek translation of the Old. This is the only time in all of Scripture we find it. And in fact, as theologians have looked out and tried to see, where does this show up in other Greek texts? They hardly find it. It is so absolutely unique to this hymn. But it simply means this Christ did not hold on to his equality with God as something to use for his own advantage. I love how the CSB speaks to this. He says there's something to be exploited. And I I promise you in all of your translations, whether it's King James, New American, NIV, you're going to see a slightly different translation on this. But what is being said here is that Jesus Christ in his very nature and his equality with God, with him being God, did not hold on to that as something that was only for him that he was jealous to have, that he grasped tightly and held it to his own chest and said, no, not not for anyone else, that I'm going to exploit this only for me. He did not do that. That was his humble attitude, is that even in the heavenlies, even the glory of God, Jesus Christ said, this is not for me, to grasp for myself, and in fact, it was this, is that Jesus saw His equality with God as qualifying him, him to be humbly descending and serving His people by saving them. Let me say that again. Jesus saw His equality with God as qualifying himself to humbly descend and serve His people by saving them. Jesus Christ's humble attitude began in the very heavenlies itself where he didn't consider equality with God as something to exploit only for himself, even though he could. He's the very God and Lord of the universe. But instead, he let it go and began to humble himself and come to earth and be with us. And that's the second thing I want to point out today is we've seen first Christ's heavenly humility. The second thing we see in the text is Christ's human humility. Christ's human humility. Verse 7, instead he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Christ's human humility. Verse 7 is speaking specifically of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Notice the beginning of this. It says, he emptied himself. Now there has been much ink spilled here. Volumes have been written on those few words that Jesus Christ emptied himself. In fact, Jehovah's Witness, if they've ever come to your door and they've proselytized and they've taught you about Jesus, the more they speak, what you're going to hear is they teach that Jesus Christ is not God that he is just the first of God's creations. And while he is God's son, he does not share divinity with God. And the reason why they say that is they point right here to Philippians 2.7 and say, see, he emptied himself. So the question always arises when you read that text, how and in what way did Jesus Christ empty himself? What did he empty himself of? Well, certainly we can already see from verse 6, that he emptied himself of his heavenly position and the riches therein of heaven. You think of being in heaven. And imagine once you leave from this earth and you are in heaven with the Father, would you ever want to come back? Would you ever want to descend into chaos and disease and sin? No. Jesus emptied himself of his heavenly position and the riches therein. He emptied himself of his heavenly glory as he came to earth. But let me say this, because again, there's so much that could be said, and there's not enough time to do it. The point of what Paul is saying is not what Christ emptied himself of but what he emptied himself into. Let me say that again. The point is not what Christ emptied himself of. It's what Christ emptied himself into. And the text shows us exactly what that was. Continue with verse 7. By assuming the form, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant taking on the likeness of humanity. The form of a servant, the likeness of of humanity, Jesus Christ emptied Himself into becoming a man. And not only that, but He was born as a baby. Jesus Christ humbled Himself to that point, born of a virgin, of a family that had no standing and no real name other than their connection to David, not in a palace, not to some grandeur but humbled and born in a dirty manger. Jesus Christ humbled Himself not only to become a man but to be born as a baby, and this is a huge step of humility to step out of heaven and become a man. But the question that always comes with this, and again with the emptying, is that in that moment when Jesus emptied himself and came to earth, did he empty himself of his divine nature? Did he empty himself of being God? And the answer to that question is a resounding no. Our doctrine... Our theology, our belief is that Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man, and this text tells us that. He had the form of God and the form of man, but Colossians 2.9 reemphasizes this, says this, for the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. Jesus is still God. He is fully man and fully God. But the point of what's being said here and that we need to hold on to is this, is that he humbled himself to become a servant, and this is where we need to focus. Jesus Christ humbled himself to become a servant. Your translation may say a bondservant, a slave. He humbled himself into one of us. The heavenly king of all the universe humbled himself And became him who served all mankind. That's important. See, Jesus himself focuses on this in his ministry. He focuses on being a servant. And he tells us this in the Gospels. In fact, in one instance, you'll remember this as he's coming towards the end of his ministry. And as he's coming to Jerusalem, two of his apostles, James and John, approach him and they desire to sit at his right hand when he ascends into his kingdom. They want to be on his right and his left hand. They want a space and a place of authority. They want to be somebody's in heaven. And they want to stand next to Jesus Christ and their mom comes into this entire picture and she says the same thing. They wanted to jockey themselves into a better position above all the other apostles, above everyone else. And see what occurs is if you keep reading, and this is, this is found in Matthew chapter 20, As they go to this and they approach Jesus and the other apostles hear about it and they become incensed. How dare you? tried to become this great person next to Jesus. And the text says that there broke out disunity and anger amongst the 12 over these two guys wanting all this authority and to be grand. They were incensed. How dare James and John grasp at equality with Jesus. The very thing that Jesus gave up, they grasped at. And they wanted to exploit it. We want to be at your left and your right. And Jesus responds to them in this way, knowing the disunity that was happening amongst the twelve. And Matthew 20, 25 through 28, says this. Jesus called them over and said, You know the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those in high positions acts as tyrants over them. It must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave just as the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The holy God of the universe, the King of all kings, humbled himself to serve them. And he is saying to them, it is pagan kings who desire authority, and desire a position because they wish to be tyrants over everyone else. He said, But not you. If you wish to have this, if you want to become great, you must become a slave to all others and serve them. And see, Jesus exemplified this. We keep moving forward in time. And you get to the Lord's Supper. The last meal they would have together. And here they are in the upper room. And the room has been secured and the meal has been set, but as they come in, one thing is missing. No one was there to wash their feet. And this was customary. See, no one in that group wanted to be that guy. And in fact, in Jewish custom, in a document called the Midrash that speaks of how to obey the law, they would say even a slave can't be commanded to do this because it is so lowly and so disgusting. And so, as they gather, what we see in Scripture is Jesus stands up and he takes off his tunic and he grabs the robe of a servant and ties it around his waist. And then he goes to get a bowl. And you can only imagine what's happening amongst all the apostles. What is he doing? And in the quiet of that moment, he takes a picture and he pours water into that bowl. What is he doing? And then he comes to each one of them. And the master, the God of the universe, begins to wash their feet. Something a slave couldn't even be commanded to do. And he begins to wash the dung and the dirt off each of their feet and the cuts he begins to care for. And they're shocked. These men who walked in and didn't even think, they didn't want to be the guy to wash feet, they didn't even think to have it. And now they see the master doing it. And I can only imagine in that moment, Peter is stunned. And it is settling on his heart exactly what is occurring. And that is why he says, oh, master, it should not be you washing our feet. I should be washing your feet. Because in that moment, he saw true humility and he was broken by it. and said, it should be me doing this to you. Now, notice what Jesus says in that moment, John 13, verses 14 through 16. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. Truly, I tell you, a servant is not greater than his master, and a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. Jesus' humble humanity is an example for all of us. But it doesn't just end there. We get to verse 8. We've already seen Christ's heavenly humility. We've already seen Christ's human humility. And the last thing we see in 8 is Christ's self-humility. Look again at verse 8. Beginning with the last part of verse 7. And when he came as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. It's so important that we see the words starting in verse 8 He humbled himself. Church, this is an important distinction between he humbled himself and he was humbled. Big difference between those two phrases. Jesus humbled himself. He was not humbled. So often in our walk, we are humbled because we seek the high position. Jesus humbled himself, and we have seen this pattern throughout all the Scripture we have looked at today. He humbled himself in heaven by not seizing equality with God. He humbled himself to be born as a man and walk amongst us. Now we see that he obediently humbles himself before God and God's will. We see this exemplified in the garden of Gethsemane as he is about to be arrested and he is about to go to his death. As he is praying, he says in Luke 22:42, "Father, if you are willing, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done." He humbled himself before God, in perfect obedience. But notice this it says, He humbled Himself, becoming obedient even to the point of death, even to death on a cross. That's important as well. Even to death on a cross. See, He could have humbled Himself and became a man and died peacefully in His sleep, even unto death. But He didn't. He died a death even on the cross. And this is the most shameful way to die. In all of human history, this is the most shameful way to die. And for the Jews, first century Jews would understand that dying on a tree meant that you were cursed by God. And you could not die a worse death than to be cursed by God. And here Jesus is willfully and humbly going to the tree And for the Romans, for polite Roman society, they saw the cross as an obscenity. See, we carry crosses around all the time now, but that was not the way in first century Rome. No, in fact, what they would do is they would see a cross, they were shamed by it. They didn't want to see this. That person is a traitor. That person is an insurrectionist. That person has betrayed the republic. Don't even look at them. They deserve what they're getting. And no one would walk around with a cross as a symbol. Who wants that? It shows you are the worst, the lowest of the low. You are underneath all of society. And for that very reason, whereas we are 2,000 plus years away and we carry crosses as necklaces, the Romans and the Christians, uh, even for many decades After that point, would not use the cross as a symbol for Jesus because it was so obscene, shameful, and yet the God, the King of the universe, humbled himself to this low position as an ultimate sacrifice for us all. Jesus was humble in heaven. Jesus was humble in his incarnation. And Jesus was humble in his obedience and service to all. Friends, this is the main point. The main point. Listen. If the God of the universe can humble himself to become a servant to all, then we, who are not all that special, can and should be this humble as well. I'm going to say it again. If the God of the universe can humble himself to become a servant to all, then we who are not all that special can and should be this humble as well. See, the problem is, is we're often like James and John. In our own life, we think we have talent. We think we are captains of industry. We think that we have been given something, and then we desire that we're going to lord it over someone else. Or we seek stature beside someone greater than us. There's none greater than Jesus. And he was a servant to all. And this is the only way that when Paul says, treat others as more important than yourself, that we can do this. It is only through the Holy Spirit, it is only through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And is the reason why Paul says, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. Have the same mind as Christ. Be like Christ. I need to be like Christ. So if you walk away with nothing else today, walk away with that. Like Christ. I need to be like Christ. So we move into this time of decision and invitation. The moment of quiet in the room right now before I pray and before we sing. Questions for you all as a church body. Who do you need to serve today? Who do you need to humble yourself before? Do you have this mind of Christ And if there's some hidden corner of your heart where pride still reigns, pray in this moment that the glory of Jesus Christ would shine so brightly that that dragon of pride is illuminated and slain by the Lamb of God in your heart. Oh, that we would pray that. And be stung by where our own pride and our own clamoring for our own glory. Our glory can only be crushed when we see the true glory of Jesus. But there may be some here today, there may be some online watching with us, that the greatest act of humility right now is to bow your knee before Jesus to surrender your very life to Him. And you can do that today. All you have to do is confess your sins, recognize, I've always wanted to be number one in my life, but Jesus, I see you, and I bow before you. Cry out to Him, save me, and He will do so. Do that today. I'm going to pray in this moment. If you want to come forward and pray, you can. This space is open to you. If you'd like to join our church, I'll be down here in the front. would love to receive you and have you be a part of this fellowship. But Let me pray. Vern's going to lead us out. And I pray that we walk away with this. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for today. Father, thank you for this gorgeous, beautiful, glorious word. Oh, Father, they are, they are tremendous. And, Lord, they bloom and blossom and grow deep in our hearts. And, oh, Father, I pray that they would not wilt away. By Father, your Spirit would nourish them so that, Father, we would bow before you and give up. That we would see the mind of Jesus Christ and adopt that attitude of humility and unity and service to all. And to see all as greater than ourselves. Father, only you can do this. And so, Father, I pray that you would. And Lord, if there's one today whose pride is in check because they truly, for the first time ever, see the glory, the radiant glory of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, Lord, that they would surrender their life even now. Father, I pray this in the strong and the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.